0: Football, baseball, basketball, anything sports. Auburn's 91.1 FM WEGL presents the scoreboard with your co-hosts Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. Your calls are welcomed at 334 844 9345 or Follow them on Twitter at Jacob underscore Hillman 3 or at Bay underscore Marks. Now, let's take a look at the scoreboard with Bay and Jacob.
1: And here we go. This is March. And this is Jacob Hillman and Bay March with you on the scoreboard on Weagle 91.1 FM. We're streaming at WeagleFM.com. about 10 minutes, the 2021 NCAA tournament will get underway with Texas Southern and Mount St. Mary's. And this whole first hour is going to be about, this whole first half hour, is going to be about the whole tournament. We've missed it. Last year didn't happen. COVID-19 ruined it. But it's back. It's back.
2: Last year, like we mentioned in the COVID anniversary episode, cut off. No SEC tournament, no nothing, especially for the Auburn Tigers, who were projected to make a deep run in the tournament, and a lot of other headlines going into the tournament last year so. It's been a long time coming, it's going to look a lot different, but let's not be picky and choosy, let's just be grateful. So, this is about to be a few fun, heptic weeks, and I'm. if you see me walking around campus with bags under my eyes, it's because we sleep in May. <laughs> right.
1: Or we just say we never sleep. We never sleep. We never sleep. Look at that tonight, first four games, we're going to pick these really quickly. We don't know anything about Texas Southern, Mount St. Mary's, Appalachian State, and Norfolk State, but... That's the whole point of the tournament. You don't know about these teams, so you're going to pick them anyway. We, we can talk about Drake, Wichita State, UCLA, Michigan State a little bit. But we're going to pick these games, and then we're going to move into the first and second rounds. Just talk about them overall. Texas Southern, Mount St. Mary's tipping off in about 10 minutes. Bay, who you got? Well, first of all, isn't it weird that it's tipping off like right now? Well, that's because usually it's, it's not a night event. Normally it's
2: Wednesday, Thursday, and then no. Tuesday, Wednesday. Tuesday, Wednesday, and then. Friday, Saturday. Thursday, Friday. Oh, Thursday, Friday. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're
1: right. Because now they're doing, I don't know if this is because of COVID or the whole bubble situation, but Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, obviously today's Thursday, first four is tipping off tonight. Friday through Monday is the first and second rounds. It's much different. I know a lot of people are complaining because Thursday is usually that day where, you know, you're supposed to be working, but you can kind of, you know, sneak off take a longer lunch break and watch games, whereas Friday, you're already, you don't care, and Monday, you kind of have to grind. Is this
2: the return of um, the website where you can watch March Madness Live? It says boss button. Oh, yeah. You click it, and it's like the the fake PowerPoint. Oh, yeah, it's up there. That's hilarious. I see it. I love it. Um, Use that a lot in school. But anyways, yeah, you know, when we were at lunch at Helena High School, we were sitting there with 10 different phones brought (laughs) up. But uh, anyways, like you said, uh, you said the Texas Southern game tonight. Obviously, it's the first four, like Jacob said, um, just the few playing games that we have to deal with. Obviously, like he was mentioning, too, a bigger one, obviously, is Michigan State-UCLA, which is in the same region as a Texas Southern matchup. And I say Texas Southern because I just believe they're going to win. Auburn played them
1: this year. Auburn didn't win by a whole lot. I think it was... Maybe just about ten or twelve. I, I, I like Johnny Jones. He coached at LSU a few years ago. He didn't he didn't do very well there, but he's a very good mid major coach. He
2: is. And I think I think they win tonight. Now their next opponent will be one
1: seed Michigan. <laughs> they do not get past him. Nope. Easy to say that. So Drake and Wichita State, that is at six twenty seven Eastern, five twenty seven central time on TBS. Between Drake and Wichita State. Drake was a team that started off the year insanely hot, and they had some COVID issues and lost a few games, but they're here in the tournament. Wichita State's obviously, they got a new coach. Kind of everything has been wacky for them, but they're here in the tournament.
2: I think I'm going to go with Drake. Just like you said, they were a good team and kind of fell off. I like them, and again, another case of no Cinderella here. I think USC, a lot of people are kind of crapping on USC, and respectfully so or rightfully so I should say but um that doesn't discredit the fact that USC is still going to beat whoever wins this play
1: in game 740 Central True TV Appalachian State Norfolk State you know all I wanted was for Appalachian State to be matched up with Michigan they they were the 68 team in they they were kind of <laughs> that team that they just won their tournament and really shouldn't have yeah but I'm picking them I'm picking Appalachian State oh. they're they're hot now I feel like they're going to continue that against Norfolk State and Go lose to, I believe, Gonzaga. Yes.
2: Yes. So the return of March Madness also means the return of crazy um, associations with why you pick your teams. I'm picking Appalachian State based off of Carter. Our <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I will solely pick them off of that. Like you said, they play Gonzaga, who has not lost a game, so it doesn't matter who wins this game either. Auburn also did play
1: Appalachian State earlier this year. They sure did. Here's the match of the night at 8.57 Central on TBS from for Mackey Arena. 11-C UCLA versus 11-C Michigan State with the opportunity to go and play BYU in the Eastern Region. I mean, two Blue Bloods? Eh, I wouldn't consider Michigan State a Blue Blood. But a team that, in the last 20 years because of Tom Izzo, has really shown what it can that it can make noise. I'm picking Michigan State because it's January, February, Izzo. Izzo as John Rothstein would tweet out.
2: I agree. I think it's going to be a very close competitive game, um, and this obviously is the biggest playing game out of all of them, and even beyond because I think whoever wins this game beats BYU, whether it's UCLA or Michigan State. Um, Michigan State, purely because they are a better team than what they implicate, and they're playing up to their opponents, and UCLA, if they're good enough to beat Michigan State, they're going to go on to be at a six-seeded uh, BYU team, not to discredit them at all. But uh, I think the winner of this game – Goes to the Sweet 16. Now, after that, I'm not really sure because they would face uh, teams out of the pool like Bama, Texas, or UConn or Maryland. Um, but for now, I like Michigan State tonight. But if even if UCLA uh, or not tonight in the first four round, I mean. Um, but I think whoever wins this game does end up in the Sweet 16. All
1: right, let's go region by region when looking at the round of 64. Do we think all the one all the one will handle business? But really, like when it comes to the round, we'll, we'll talk about them combined round of 64, round of 32. Are any of these one season in danger of losing to an 8 or 9? Um, I would argue not Illinois. I think Illinois is probably the safest bet because
2: they're playing Drexel. Then they have Georgia Tech, who's without um, one of their key players, and Loyola Chicago, who, while they're a great team, I mean, it doesn't compare to the teams that Illinois had to be sharpened up against this year. So I always say that they're the safest bet. I would say the team that is most likely to lose would be Baylor, because, and it's a close second to Gonzaga, or Gonzaga's a close second because Baylor, after getting past Hartford, would have to face either North Carolina or Wisconsin in the round of 32. North Carolina, I mean, always a blue blood, always a great team. And Wisconsin, I mean, the Whites, I mean, yeah, that's
1: a great team. Yeah, and like, I, I, I agree with that to an extent. I don't like the Gonzaga one because I don't trust Missouri and Oklahoma lost their leading scorer. So uh, I don't think Gonzaga's going to have any troubles with whoever they play there. I could see North Carolina giving Baylor some trouble. I will
2: say one thing real quick while you're mentioning about Gonzaga. Both of these teams, um, Missouri and Oklahoma, are both teams that have beaten Alabama this year, who's a two seed.
1: Yeah, and see, that was my thought was, man, Oklahoma's going to have a good chance to beat Gonzaga. They get past Missouri, then they lost their leading scorer. I don't even know if they're going to beat Missouri, so that's where we're at with them. Looking at Baylor, I can see North Carolina giving them troubles. Right. But I see, I'm the way around with you on Illinois. I think that Loyola is really a good team. They are. They're an eight seed and they're 24 and four. And I truly think they have the best chance to beat a one seed. We haven't talked about Michigan. They're going to go up against St. Bonaventure or LSU. I don't buy either of those teams. LSU, they're so, I I really don't know how to describe. And we talked about earlier this season about the parity in the SEC. I don't see that really, I don't see LSU coming into that game. And I think they'll play their tails off against Michigan if they do get past St. Bonaventure. But I don't think that they have what it takes to beat Michigan.
2: I will say the big thing is if Loyola Chicago ends up playing Illinois, then it's going to be a fast-paced game. Um, and I think Illinois still wins that game
1: purely because I think Illinois will out-rebound Loyola. But See, and here's the thing. Georgia Tech has a great defense as well, but without mm-hmm. the key player, uh, he was a big man, one of their leading scorers. You're kind of stuck, and I don't know if they're going to get past Loyola because of that.
2: And something else that has been big, I've been seeing in the sports world lately about Georgia Tech, not to hold up time or anything, but remember the fact that a team that was projected to win the ACC tournament instead of them was out of that tournament. So right. keep that in mind. Don't just think, oh, they right. won the tournament. Virginia wasn't even in that tournament, so keep that in mind.
1: And let's look at the SEC teams a little bit. So you've got Alabama. the two seed out of the east. Michigan is the one seed there. Arkansas in the south has a three seed. Florida Right below them as a seven seed, LSU is the eight seed in the East, and I believe that is. No, Missouri is the nine seed playing Oklahoma. I think it's obvious who we're going to say is going to go the deepest. It's and, obviously Bama. Yeah, and well, later, not only because they're so good, but they have a very favorable draw. They do, and I really think that the uh, the I think Texas. Is going to beat beat Alabama in the Sweet Sixteen. I agree, but I'm not too confident in that because I do think that Alabama's defense is one of the best in the country and can easily shut down that. Like Herb Jones against Greg Brown will be a that's going to be a great up. great matchup. So I really think that Herb has what it takes to shut him down. Just experience versus inexperience, and Greg Brown. I saw it in, in, in the Big Twelve Championship. He he was not playing like he should have he literally went to the locker room for the last 16 minutes of the game
2: this is the one matchup that I'm looking forward to because I believe it's going to happen Texas just has to be um Abilene Christian and then beat the winner of BYU and Michigan State UCLA Bama just has to be Iona and either UConn or Maryland who are 7 and 10 seeds this will be a sweet 16 matchup I'm with you we were talking about it last night at home I think Texas wins it'll be a very close game but I will say this if Alabama wins this game they're going to the national championship. I I don't know if they'll win, but they will go to the national championship game. See,
1: I think they can beat Gonzaga. Oh, yeah.
2: Well, because I think, A, Bama's a lot faster than Gonzaga. But, B, in in reference to this game against Texas, like you said, Herb Jones and Greg Brown. Greg Brown's a little more athletic, but Herb Jones has the um, veteranship inside of him. And, B, it's going to be a matchup of the guards, how fast Alabama can push a pace. Because Texas can push, but they also like to play half-court sets. So you got to look at the at the contraries on both sides. That's right. going to be the most fun game of the tournament. I guarantee it. That I would agree with that. That's going to be a great game. And when you look at the other SEC teams, I don't see anybody making it past the second round other than Arkansas. Well, let's look at it. You have LSU. They're going to get past St. Bonaventure, but they won't beat Michigan. Tennessee. Tennessee and Oregon State. I forgot to mention Tennessee. Yeah, Tennessee is the 5-12 seed against Oregon State. Although there's a lot of Oregon State upsets right here, even without John Fulkerson, I say that they get – um, to the round of 32, but I think Oklahoma State and Cade Cunningham take care of business. Um, Arkansas and Colgate's a popular, popular upset.
1: See, and that's the thing. I mean, it, there's just like I so think many different it's, places. It's so possible that is the only team that makes it out of the first round. I don't think Tennessee's going to lose to Oregon State. I don't think Arkansas is going to lose to Colgate. But those are two very possible things very, to happen. Yeah. Very popular upsets to pick. I don't, I don't buy any of the Pac-12 teams, I'll be honest. And I really think the only team that's really going to make it out of the First round of the Pac-12 is is USC, but I, I think Arkansas is going to make it to the Sweet 16 mm. before. Excuse me, I wow, no that I well, I have them losing to Texas. I, Tech. I was about
2: to say Texas Tech is who they who they play in round
1: of 32. They're going to lose that. Yeah, and Florida's going to lose to Ohio State. Listen, the SEC is relying on Alabama for prowess because that's what you got to look at.
2: Now, I will say Arkansas has a better chance than Florida to get to the Sweet 16 just because they don't have to play the two-seed in Ohio State, and although Texas Tech is very athletic and very fast, they're definitely beatable. We've seen it many times this year. They're 17-10, and I believe. Um, So Arkansas has the second-best chance of, of advancing the farthest. It's just... And the eight nine matchup with Missouri and Oklahoma is where I'm keeping my eye at too because we've seen Missouri up and down this year. I mean, they got within what the top ten or close to it at one point. They were twelve
1: and Auburn beat them.
2: Yeah, I mean, they were one of the best teams in the nation at one point, and they've dropped all the way down to unranked at times as well. So I really don't know. That's the same thing as Oklahoma. Oklahoma bounced within side the top ten, and then they've even been unranked too this season. So I think that that's going to be
1: that's going to be interesting to watch. It's gonna yeah, be fun. the SEC is relying on Alabama. Before we got a break, we got a few more minutes. Let's talk about upsets. Go do it. Who you got getting past the round of 32 that, you know, 11 seed, 12 seed, 13 seed. You, I mean, is there is there a Florida Gulf Coast out there? Is as a 15 seed? <laughs> I don't think that there's a Dunk
2: City College out there this year like that hey, team. That, that team was always fun. fun to watch, though. Um, let me hear yours first.
1: I'm still looking at the field. You see Santa Barbara. Okay, I know you like that pick. And it has to do with the matchups. I don't buy Creighton. They're a good shooting team, but... You see what they did against Georgetown? Right. Mm, I don't like that. Then they're playing the winner of Virginia-Ohio, which I can see Ohio winning that. Ohio is a great team. And Virginia just, they're so, playing them, it's just, it depends on what you do. <laughs> and they can very much lose, like, they can lose to UMBC or they can win the national championship, like they did in back-to-back years. So I see UCSB making it to the Sweet 16, losing to Gonzaga.
2: I'll, I'll do you one better. I'll give you two, and not okay. only two, but both of them from the South region. Okay. okay? First one is Winthrop. five twelve upset. I think a lot of people are going to pick them to beat Villanova. Villanova without one of their best players. Um, I mean, they haven't played anybody in with within the top 25, but, I mean, shoot, they're 23-1 on the year. You can't discredit that. I think they can get hot and keep it rolling. And Virginia Tech, although that's not a huge underdog, they are a 10 seed. I think that they're a lot better than people are making them out to be. Now, the big question is... Do they get past number two seed Ohio State? Virginia Tech is 4-0 against top 25 teams this year, my friend. And they're they're a solid team. So I think that those are definitely two teams that you need to keep your eye on to start upsetting some teams early. Texas
1: Southern, Mount St. Mary's is underway. Texas Southern leads 2-0 so far. They got a new scorebook, by the way. So on the other side of this break, We're going to talk about Sweet 16, Elite 8, Final Four to wrap up our tournament discussion. Bay Marks, Jacob Hillman with you on the scoreboard on Weagle 91.1 FM. Thank you for tuning in to the scoreboard with Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. You can find the scoreboard podcast on
2: Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you find your podcasts. This is March, and it's also the scoreboard on Weagle 91.1 FM. Or if you're streaming on WeagleFM.com, this is Bay Marks with Jacob Hillman. Four seventeen in Auburn, Alabama. Getting back into the March Madness discussion of today's show. We already talked about the first two rounds and the playing games. One's currently underway. Texas Southern is still leading, I believe. Can I get a
1: confirmation? Texas Southern is down seven to four. The Mount Saint Marys after a three-pointer. I am not a trustworthy source, so don't listen to me.
2: <laughs> we will go ahead and get into the later rounds of the tournament. If you want to go back and hear who we have in the first two rounds and why. You can listen to the recording after today's show wherever you find your podcast at Spotify, Apple Music, whatever you may please. So, getting into the Sweet 16 and Elite 8 and Final 4, all that good stuff. Let's get into it. Jacob, first question is obviously, and I think we kind of answered this in our last our last segment, except for maybe one or two of them. Do we see all four 1 seeds getting to the Sweet 16?
1: Absolutely.
2: Okay. Just a confirmation there. The four the four one seeds are Gonzaga, Baylor, Illinois, and Michigan, um, very deservingly so. And I guess that leads us to the to the discussion of who do those four one seeds meet in the elite or in the Sweet Sixteen, excuse me, and possibly in the Elite Eight. We'll go ahead and start out with the West Region. Gonzaga, the one seed there, they would have already had to go through Oklahoma and Missouri to get there. Who do you see meeting them there? Is it Creighton, Virginia, Ohio, or you mentioned UC Santa Barbara
1: last segment? And that's my team, UC Santa Barbara. They're they're kind of a Cinderella team because I don't see anything special happening past Sweet 16. I expect this tournament to be kind of chalky, so I think UC Santa Barbara will be that team that everyone talks about, but they're going to end up going head-to-head with Gonzaga and get smashed, and that's unfortunate because I'd like to see them go further, but when you're playing a team like Gonzaga, I don't expect them to get them see i have ohio a 13 seed i i
2: in some bra- i'm not let, against that Well, let me rephrase i have them in some brackets and i also have virginia virginia like we mentioned was out due to covid for the acc tournament i think either one of these teams are still going to lose like you said i think gonzaga is primed to make a final four run i expect 12, um, i expect a 12-13 matchup hey sure. you know how electric that would be if it went down to the wire Whew. for a trip to the elite eight whoo anyways Look Whoever at, meets Gonzaga, though, we we do agree that that's not that, going to end up yeah, in a W for them. they're not yeah. doing well. But on the bottom of that region, we have Luka Garza in Iowa, teams from the Pac-12, like you mentioned, Oregon, Kansas, who kind of had an up-and-down year towards the middle of the year,
1: USC, who do we see go into the Sweet 16 here as well? Yeah, I see, I don't think USC's going to get past Kansas, and I don't think... See, this is an interesting one, because I could see Drake upsetting USC, but I think USC will get past them, then be... USC, Kansas, then VCU, Iowa, and I think Iowa and Kansas will be in the Sweet 16. I agree. I, it's chalked, but it's it's pretty fair. I can see
2: VCU upsetting Oregon, like you mentioned, and out of Kansas and Iowa, I'm going to pick Iowa. I know that Kansas has paid, played really quality opponents in the Big 12, but the Big 10 this year, man, is like SEC baseball. It's an absolute gauntlet. Yeah,
1: and, and Kansas just, I don't
2: know. Nothing flashy about not them this them. year. Right. It's just an... It's kind of like like I mentioned, they were up and down. Um, they were missing McCormick in the Big Twelve tournament. They of, were of uh, COVID. Issues. Now they did beat Baylor though this year. They did. So you never know. That's why it's called March Madness. But we both think Luka Garza is going to advance to the Sweet Sixteen. And, and we should
1: mention that Big Twelve is kind of Big Ten light. So yes. when when they when Kansas beats Baylor at home, it's like, well, you should expect that right. because these teams are great. But looking at the East Region. We're going to see. We expect to see Michigan in the Sweet 16, but will they be playing Colorado, Georgetown, Florida State, or UNC Greensboro? I don't see any. I don't see a Cinderella story out of here. With that no. being said, I see Georgetown beating Colorado. I, hey,
2: I don't dislike it. They're hot. They just ran through their own tournament. Um, but Sweet 16 wise, I think Florida State is a lot. Of, is a team that a lot of people aren't talking about. Um, I just think that they're a very quick, athletic team who got caught up in the ACC tournament. I have them meeting Michigan in the East Region in the sweet sixteen, but that's not to say I still have Michigan going to the Elite Eight.
1: Yeah. I, I, I think I, that's a pretty safe bet to place. I, I like Florida State going to meet Michigan in the sweet sixteen. And then the bottom half we We're talking about the last segment. I can see a lot of different things playing out down there. Really? I could see UConn beating Alabama. They've got the guard makeup. This is it's sim- the guard makeup is similar to Kimba. 10 years ago? I remember you saying that. Obviously, like, it's not the same because it's not Kimball Walker and they didn't have that crazy moment in the Big East tournament or or are they in the American Athletic now, wherever they are. I think they're still in the Big East. But they still – it just feels right. It feels like the Auburn team that made the run. Just the guard makeup, that matters so much in the tournament. They're not going to beat Alabama. But I could see them doing it. So I see Alabama meeting Texas. But here's the thing. Texas is going to have to play Michigan State, UCLA, or BYU – I can see Michigan State making a run. Hey, and like you just mentioned,
2: January, February, is Mm-hmm. CC John Rothstein. I still, like I mentioned last segment, I still just think that Texas and Alabama are primed to meet each other in the Sweet 16, and that one game could determine the course for Alabama for the rest of the tournament. If Alabama wins that game, they're going to the national championship. I think they beat Michigan. I mean, because that's a huge yeah. win to beat Texas. Now, Michigan is not a pushover. It's a one seed, but still. Um, it's going to be Michigan and either Bama or Texas in the Elite Eight out of that region.
1: Yeah. But, I, I, I See, I, I'm going chalk, but it's just like, I can see Michigan State or UConn doing the thing. UConn did it. Remember when then, <laughs> then they were like an eight seed and they played 17 Kentucky in the Final Four? Yeah. Something like that could happen again. Now, speaking of an eight
2: seed playing a four seed, is that what you just said? No, a 7 versus 8. A 7 versus 8, I'm sorry. Well, speaking of an 8 seed, if we move over to the South region, one one matchup in one of my brackets, I've made like 7 so far. I'm going to try and fill them all out tonight. Um, one matchup that I find intriguing as well is Baylor-North Carolina. In and, and like 2 or 3 of my brackets, I do have North Carolina winning. But Wisconsin's,
1: mm, I don't like them. They they ended the year kind of eh. But
2: that's what I'm saying. I think North Carolina's going to meet Baylor in the round of 32, and then I think... I think North Carolina gets to the Sweet 16 and plays Purdue, while Texas Tech and Ohio State play each other. You're, you're picking Carolina beat Baylor. It's
1: madness. See, why here, not? Here's the thing. I, I'm going to go ahead and spoil, play a little spoiler. I've got Gonzaga, Baylor, and Illinois in the Final Four. Mm-hmm. I know it's like that's not the most fun thing to do, but think about it. more often than not, you don't get upsets. It's just the upsets are more memorable. They stick out more. Everyone talks about UMBC. Everyone talks about Loyola making it to the Final Four, but those are so rare. And it feels like it happens every year, but it really doesn't. Now, with that being said, the last time four one-seeds made it was 2008. That's a while ago. Three one-seeds making it isn't as crazy. So Hey. But that's just the thing is you just never know. No, you don't. You never know. know. You never know. But, and
2: that's where we lead to in the Midwest region where we do find Illinois. For me, I have in the Sweet 16, Illinois and Oklahoma State and West Virginia, Houston, a chalk, one, two, three, and four, with
1: Illinois advancing to the final four. So, yeah, uh, see, I've got like I said, I've got Baylor in the Final Four. With that being said, the bottom half is a little eh. Uh, I've got Texas Tech in the Elite Eight. Hey, and that's the thing is
2: Chris Beard and his Red Raiders. That's a that's a team that's well, capable of flying under the radar, and messing up some brackets. I feel like they're barely underseeded. Are they? Are they a six? They they're six. six. Okay. Now they're gonna have to get through Arkansas. I just think the fact that their record was what it was is the reason why they're not higher. Yeah, you're right. Because they were only 17 and 10, and I believe they're at 500 in conference play.
1: Mm -hmm. So and getting through Arkansas is not gonna be easy. But here's the thing, Arkansas coming up. I hey, Arkansas, Arkansas could be messed up from the SEC tournament, and they're gonna be in a shootout with Colgate. I think. I think that's gonna be a close game. And obviously, if Colgate wins, then I've got to expect easily beating them. But it's like. I think that's like a 80-78 to 78 kind of game.
2: Well, and mentally, think about it from this from this perspective for the Hogs. They were on that win streak going into the SEC tournament. Basically, all the predictions were uh, Bama and Arkansas. Bama and Arkansas. Well, Arkansas gets to the semifinals, and it's just like, all right, one more game, and then we're in the championship, not even like thinking about LSU. You get tripped up by LSU, who ends up only losing by a basket, and you think about what you could do to Bama after you've already beaten them this year. And especially if you have to go wire-to-wire with Colgate first round, They could definitely be a team that trips up to Mac McClung and and the Red Raiders. So picking Texas Tech is not the craziest thing
1: to do in the world. Right. The Midwest region where Auburn is the defending champions. Yes. Just got to throw that in there. I mean, Sweet 16, I got to say it's Illinois, and I'm going back and forth between Oklahoma State and Tennessee. The only reason I don't pick them is because of Fulkerson, because I doubt he'll be able to play. Right. Yeah, but he took a UFC elbow against – Florida, Florida, and I don't know. Kate Cunningham. I think Kate Cunningham will do great in these first two games, but he's gonna run out of gas against Illinois. And doesn't it seem like that's become a trend within the past several years? I mean,
2: Zion was the projected number one overall pick. Had then they lose in the Sweet Sixteen, yeah, or not even the Elite Eight. And I don't know. I just I can see that as well. But I just have a feeling that Oklahoma State. I think their BPI is really really good compared to Tennessee's. Let me mm-hmm. look real quick.
1: Yeah, and I, I really think that Illinois, with Coburn and oh, that no. whole team, like really T- Tennessee's BPI is twelve and Oklahoma State is thirty six. I thought it was opposite, but yeah. I I think that Oklahoma State's gonna get it done against Tennessee if they. I think NFL they're team. just a
2: more consistent
1: team. Yeah, I like. Well, yeah, we know. Remember what Edge you said Tennessee.
2: on the show last week? You said Tennessee has the potential to be the best team in the SEC, mm-hmm.
1: and they didn't show that. Until and they played Bama, then, and now they don't. Yeah, true. And now they only have seven players, really seven yeah. man rotation. It's gonna be tough to make a run. And they're looking at the bottom half. I say, I uh, this is tough. Look out for San Diego State. Look yeah, you, out for you really Rutgers. Like that San Diego. State Look out thing. for Rutgers too. They're a ten seed, but they play in the Big Ten. They, they know true competition. Clemson was a good team earlier in the year. They kind of fell off. But I, I'm so I'm gonna pick Houston and San Diego State this week six, sixteen. With Houston advancing to play Illinois, I do like the Houston pick. Um, they showed out in their conference championship game. I just think
2: that that's a lot of momentum to carry over. I, the chalk in me wants me to like put them up against West Virginia. I just yeah, I need somebody to tell me to not chalk because I'm sitting at the end of the day and I'm like, this team is so much better than right X Y and Z. Right. I don't know. I don't know. I do like the I do like the Houston pick though.
1: That's a good team to push to go far. So let's look back at the West. We've got Gonzaga and Iowa in the Elite Eight. Is that that what you have? In the Elite Eight, I have Gonzaga and Iowa. My Elite Eight for the East is Michigan and Texas. I think you have the same thing. If not, Bama. That's like a very thin coin flip, yeah. I have Baylor and Texas Tech in the Elite Eight. I think yours is different.
2: Yeah, like half of my brackets are or a few of my brackets are Baylor and a few are North Carolina. For some reason, I just think that the Tar Heels might make a late-season push. So what's your Elite Eight for the South?
1: <sighs> you go
2: in Villanova and Ohio State? For the South, my Elite Eight, I'm going to do Ohio State, two seed. They're going to beat Texas Tech. And I say Purdue's going to beat North Carolina or Baylor. Okay. Just for some reason. And
1: then in the Midwest?
2: Illinois and West Virginia for me.
1: Illinois and... Houston for me. Yeah. So let's go ahead and make our final four picks in the West: Gonzaga or Iowa. Gonzaga. Okay, that's the same with me. In the East, Michigan or Texas.
2: If it's Texas, it's Michigan. If it's Bama, it's Bama over. At, uh, so Michigan. you're picking Michigan.
1: I'll pick Michigan for now. Yeah. I'm picking Texas. And then, so in that South, you have Ohio State and Purdue. I have Ohio State beating Purdue, and then Illinois beating West Virginia. Okay. So, My, so you have you have Ohio State beating Purdue? Yes. I have uh Baylor beating Texas Tech and in the Midwest I have Illinois defeating Houston good at the final 4. Yeah. So, my final 4 is Gonzaga, Texas, Baylor, Illinois. Mine's Gonzaga, Michigan, Ohio
2: State, Illinois. So, we have Gonzaga and Illinois in common. It's just the Michigan and Ohio yep. State. I think 3 Big
1: 10 teams get into the final 4. That is kind of insane. That's going to I mean, what, who's our champions? Let's do it. Gonzaga. I've got Gonzaga, too. No, I'd, I'd say that back. Well, let's go Illinois. Illinois, Gonzaga is going to face off. Those are the two I mean, best Illinois teams to bet on right now. I would they approve are. of that as well. Well, that's, it's good for the value. On the other side of the break, we're doing the
2: March Madness talk, but we can always come back. Next week we'll be back. We can talk oh, a little yeah, bit more about, about it. About the- 316 Elite Eight. Yeah, that's right. But for the other side of our break right now, we're going to talk about the Auburn basketball turnovers. Auburn got a commitment today from a grad transfer. And we're going to talk about it on the other side of the break. WGL 91.1 FM.
1: We're already halfway done with the scoreboard on Weagle 91.1 FM. You can find more Weagle content at WeagleFM.com or on social media at Weagle underscore AU. Second half of the show. The scoreboard on Weagle 91.1 FM underway now. Jacob Hillman, Babe Marks with you in the Bradley based in Weagle studio. We dedicated Congrats, that to him last Saturday at 10 a.m. He's done a great job hosting his own show on Mondays. Eagle on Weagle is what it's called. But we're moving into Auburn basketball turnover, roster turnover, because a lot's happened. We talked about Justin Powell last week. Well, Jamal Johnson and j Franklin have decided to transfer out, and Zep Jasper has decided to transfer in I mean, this is all happening in a 24-hour span, right? Well, the
2: past three years, this isn't the madness that we've been referring to in March for Auburn basketball. I mean, for two years, it was a
1: tournament, and then for last year, it was a worldwide pandemic. Now we're talking about roster turnovers. Well, it's something we didn't expect. We expected someone to leave, whether it be Sharif or transfer. I think Franklin... Franklin wasn't one that that you could have hung your hat on and counted on that, but the Jamal one out of nowhere, and then... The Justin Powell one was just... Well, see, I think the the Johnson one's more baffling to me because Powell, we don't know what, what's been happening. He's been in his room. He might have just been like, this isn't... I don't like this. I, I need to change the scenery. Johnson, though, I think I think it was Justin Lee. He posted the quote from after the Mississippi State game where they talked to and the press did. He was excited for next season, talking about everyone coming back, everyone growing, talking about he's really grown as a leader because he is the oldest guy on the team. The, it's interesting
2: the only thing i can think of would be he he obviously knows that auburn's talking to transfer guards exactly and he knows that they're going to be more uh, more experienced and probably be a little more polished than he is because why wouldn't they be um so that's the only thing i can i can say why he and, would think that and way, i also but, think this increases the chances of sharif cooper returning i agree and that's, I'm glad you're on the same page as me as that now. Let's knock on wouldn't be safe. Right. I'm still not saying he's coming back. But you Scrooge. More more likely, but Jam- it's more likely now. You have to also look at the impact that Jamal had. Played in all 27 games. Played almost 26 minutes in games. Had 9.4 points a game, 2.5 rebounds, 1.3 assists. And he shot 36% from the three-point line. So, um, And he was a guy that last year Auburn... Or during the offseason more specifically, Bruce said he's the most improved guy on our team because last year he was a either not making a single shot he
1: took, or b was getting absolutely beat off the ball. Yeah, he 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 struggled. I think it was the month of February where he went a whole month without, without making scoring a shot. Or anything, yeah, and like you said, the whole year his defense was off. I think I would agree that he was the most improved player. It, that's just because he really he really last year I wouldn't even say he was a role player. He just. Sometimes played when Auburn really needed something, to, something change, something different. This year, he turned into a role player and eventually a starter. When and eventually he a point guard, which he normally hasn't and, played. And, and that's the thing is that he stepped into those roles very well. And as we talked about off the air, he was the second best shooter on the team, statistically behind Justin Powell. And you know we don't know exactly what Powell would have done the whole year. He might he might have cooled off a little bit for a two week span or something. And Jamal might have had statistically the best stats, but as you said, we don't know what led to it. It could have just been Auburn talking to all these transfers, and if that's the case, then I think Bruce Pearl knows what he's doing. He 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 knows who he wants in the program, and not to say he doesn't want Jamal in, but these guys that are available because this year's transfer portal is packed. I mean, just look at the guys that are leaving Auburn. Yeah, I mean, Powell and Johnson are are. Power six level guards. Yeah, Javon Franklin's probably going to drop to a mid major, but Powell and Johnson are going to hear from some top tier programs. See, and th- and we were
2: talking about this today in our in our group chat. The reason why I personally don't see this as the biggest deal in the world, like you've been mentioning, a it points to it points to a few different things. Like you mentioned, higher chance of Strife coming back. B the fact that Auburn is in the grad transfer market, which we saw today is evident. They still have two scholarship spots open for next year. Um. So, and I think the biggest thing is is who was Auburn going to get at all this. Well, that question was answered today. There's been a lot of whispers, and it's Je- Zep Jasper out of Charleston. Um, reportedly Auburn called him like less than an hour or two after he put his name in the portal, and Auburn's been talking to him twice a week for the past like month. And he was going to announce on March 31st. Um, so two weeks away, where he was going to commit to. But I think he said something like, I just cannot wait to tell anybody that I was going to Auburn. So he went ahead and announced it today. Um, like we said, Zep Jasper, six one one seventy five, junior out of Augusta, Georgia. Like I said, played at Charleston. This season, during the COVID season, he averaged 15.6 points a game, 3.7 rebounds, 2.6 assists, averaged 43.7% from the field, and I think he averaged something crazy from the free throw line. Yeah, it's
1: 87.5% this year, and last year shot nearly 90% from the charity strike. See, and you look at the previous years, he started games as a freshman, and he started all games but one during during his sophomore year.
2: And his score, look how... Bunch of scoring in the radar. Seven point six to a fifteen
1: point six, and looking at uh, his rebounding, it went up as well. And look, it's not like his minutes went up a ton. He only averaged two more minutes per game. So he really improved himself. His his assists went up a whole assist per game almost. And this guy looks like a guy that you can bring in and with a full offseason with guys that are really starting to find their role in this team, like Devin Cambridge, Alan Flanagan, Jalen Williams, JT Thor, he can really make some noise. He, now, of course, this is not... This is assuming... I'm assuming Sharif's leaving. I know you're on a different page than me, but assuming Sharif leaves, this guy can come in to start. I'm,
2: I'm more... I think it's more interesting to analyze the fact that not only is he a productive scorer and can handle the ball, because... Auburn
1: did not have a point guard this year. Over his career, averaged point nine turnovers. Yeah, per game.
2: The thing with him is Auburn this year, besides when Shreve Cooper was playing, did not have a point guard that was able to handle the ball and score effectively. He is able to score effectively, and he looks like he can shoot the ball better than Shreve right now. I'm gonna be completely honest.
1: Shreve doesn't shoot the ball well. No, but that's not. That's not. That's a not to thing. say he can't. Yeah, yeah, that's
2: not to say he doesn't have the ability to or the potential to. But and he's a better on ball defender.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean. His on-ball defense is something that Auburn has lacked in the point guard position since Bryce Brown. who was a shooting guard. He wasn't even a point guard. Jared's defense was okay. Javon's defense was not good. No. Bryce had great on-ball defense. So That's something that they emphasized with him was the fact that not only can he score and handle the ball, but his speed and his defense are kind of what sets him apart. Now he's, he's 6'1", 175, so standard height for a guard, not anything too large. Um, but like you said, I think Bruce Pearl knows what he wants in a system, what kind of
1: athlete to go get. And this is prototype number A. Well, looking statistically at his shooting numbers, you say he's a better shooter. It's crazy because he started off, and it's because he shot the ball more this year. But 40% his freshman year, 36% his sophomore year, and 34.5% this year. But look at his two-point percentage. He went from 39 to 44 to 51%. Yeah. he's That shows that he's learning how to get to the basket, and I haven't watched him. I don't. I doubt he takes many mid-range shots, but he's probably getting to the basket and facilitating, which Jared Harper esque. That's that's what I like to see.
2: I think the biggest thing with him is, like you mentioned, I think he can get to the rack, but I think he's also a little more prone to taking um, a pick and roll long ball. Mm-hmm. Um, just from a few clips I've seen so far today on Twitter, because I really hadn't studied him a lot until before our show today. Um, I think that's where Auburn can really benefit from him. While he can drive, he can shoot like Jared did. Um, and I think that's what made Jared such a great point guard was the fact that coming off a pick and roll from Anthony Macklemore or Austin Wiley, you never knew whether he was going to charge a basket, dump the ball off, or
1: settle for a three. Or dunk on Xavier. Yes. <laughs> and make SportsCenter top ten. That's, that's the whole thing is that I'm not trying to say this guy should be like Jared. He's going to be like Jared. But you got to bring someone in with the playmaking ability, not the same exact kind of playmaking ability, but he's got to have that level of Jared Harper.
2: Well, and I think the thing too is also he Which knows is what
1: Sharif had.
2: Yes, and he knows how to how to push the ball. And we saw this year when Auburn didn't have Sharif in, who was the only guy that can push the ball. What he was only kind point of, guard. He was only point guard. But what kind of stagnant offense Auburn had? Yeah. If Auburn is not pushing the ball, no offense happens on the floor. Well, I remember what I forget what game
1: it was, but. They were trying to push and it did not work. It just did not work at all. And they had to run a slow pace offense, which is not what they practice. They don't practice that, which they might have leading up to that game. But all off season and through the first half of the season, you're not practicing going slow, running half court offense. You're you're pushing the ball with Sharif Cooper. And that's a lot of fun to do. And it's pretty easy to do as well with Sharif. So when you when you put a forward slash two guard in a point guard, you're going to struggle. Yeah. When you got this guy, it's, it's going to be very similar to what Sharif Cooper did. Yeah. And we'll hopefully still be doing next year. Yes, hopefully. Um, Because imagine, he – and I
2: also think another big thing, too, going a few minutes back was also B, another big reason why the Jamal News isn't terrible is you're getting Trey Alexander, yes. who seems like he can handle the ball a lot better than Jamal, which is already a plus. He's bigger and more athletic, I believe, as well. I believe he's like an inch taller than him. Um, But anyways, and he he can still shoot the ball lights out, and um, he's still a very dynamic guard. But regardless, I know that everybody is thankful for Jamal and what he did. I mean, this year could have been a lot worse if he was not on the team. I I don't think Auburn beats Mississippi State without him.
1: Auburn doesn't win several games without him this year. Yeah, he he, he really, like, like I said, he developed from this player that went in last year, because Auburn was struggling and said, "I right, we got to try something different to a role player, to a dang starter. Well,
2: and that's impressive. Well, and the thing is, is I was thinking about this the other day and then somebody happened to tweet it was the fact that although he was technically on the team, he had to sit out for a year. He was the only remaining person from the final four team. Dang. Yeah. I didn't think about that. Yeah. Yeah. Because he was, yeah, he was, a, he had to sit on the bench. He was a, uh, he was number 23 too. Scout team. Yeah. <laughs> he was. Everything had 23 Gosh. on him until Isaac he,
1: came in. What what number was he in high school? Was he
2: 23?
1: Oh, uh, <sighs> I wish you wouldn't ask me that. I don't, yeah, I, I don't know either. No, I think I, it
2: was 20. I could be wrong. It,
1: it feels like he was 23 in high school. Well,
2: because him and Austin play together. Yeah. Which I, I know Austin was a huge reason why he came to Auburn, but they ended up not even getting to play a
1: lot of big minutes with each other anyway. So that does it for the Auburn basketball roster turnover segment. When we return, we're going to talk about Auburn sticking ball sports. A little bit of softball, a little bit of baseball. We're also going to go over Auburn Pro Day. A lot in the next segment. Stay tuned on the scoreboard on Wiggle 91.1 FM. One more segment before we turn off the scoreboard for the day. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the scoreboard with Bay Marks and Jacob Hilton. You can listen to us live every Thursday at 4 p.m. on
2: WEGL 91.1 FM or at WEGLFM.com. Last segment on the scoreboard, Baymarks, and Jacob Hillman in the Weagle Studios. Now the Bradley based in Weagle Studios, like Jacob mentioned last segment. Congratulations, Bradley. Very deserving of that. If you want to call in on the last segment, feel more than free to do that. 334-844-9345. 334-844-9345. segment. Auburn Baseball, Softball, and Pro Day. We're going to run them down very quickly. First off, Auburn Baseball for this weekend. Auburn Baseball will be traveling on the road to their first SEC matchup of the year. Um, they're going to Mississippi to play Ole Miss. I think this is a huge series for Auburn to, I would say, not bounce
1: back, but kind of make a statement. I would say. Well, you didn't end this. You didn't end the series like you wanted to. Exactly. And I think I don't look too much into that Sunday against Little Rock because I wasn't able to watch the first two games. I was at softball watching the Auburn-Alabama series, but what I saw on Sunday before Little Rock really got to go. They are aggressive. And they didn't score a single run on Friday or Saturday. Credit to Cody Greenhill, Mason Barnett, Blake Berthalter, and, and the other relievers that pitched on Friday and Saturday, giving up zero runs to an aggressive bunch like that. They were due. They were due. Twelve runs, not ideal. But whenever whenever you give up a grand slam like Trace Bright did, and I think the fifth inning, it's going to happen. I think it might have been the fourth inning, but it's going to open it up for them, and they're really going to get rolling.
2: Well, and a big thing, too, Auburn baseball is 2-0 on the road this year. They just won their second road game of the year against Lipscomb. Uh, I believe it's the other team was UAB, um, and they beat Lipscomb 9-7. That game was moved due to weather, Um, so they played in Nashville. So coming back home for a day or two, and then they're getting on the road, playing tomorrow at 6.30 in Oxford against the number four team in the nation. Um, I guess since we're doing everything, real quick, what do you see happening this weekend
1: in Keys or anything like that? So I, I, I see a sweep happening for Ole Miss. I don't think Auburn's going to get a win. Now, Ole Miss is not not the team. like They're number four in the country. But I really think that they're going to be that third team behind Arkansas and Mississippi State in the West. And I think LSU has a good chance at making a run at them later in the season. But I do think that Ole Miss will get the sweep. One thing we got to look at, too, is Auburn – Hasn't announced a Sunday starter. It's Cody Greenhill on Friday, Mason Barnett on Saturday. Sunday's TBA. Well, you have to remember, Richard Fitz was hurt, but then he did pitch against
2: Lipscomb, um, so
1: maybe and, it'll be him. And It could be him. They could give Trace Spryer another chance because, like I said, it, it was that Grand Slam. Yeah. That Grand Slam really opened things up for them. He only gave up a solo home run before that, and that was his only hit that he'd given up. And then things kind of opened up. So we'll see if they give Trace Spryer a chance. I don't imagine Jack Owen will just come out and make a start like that. He'll probably throw out of the bullpen like Richard did on Tuesday before he makes his return.
2: I'll be a little more optimistic. I say Auburn goes 1-2. Yeah. I don't think they win Friday night, but
1: Saturday or Sunday, one of those two games, Auburn will still win. Sunday, they are facing sophomore pitcher Derek Diamond, who's a 5.2 in ERA, and it's 1-2. and two. So. And if the bats get going against him, I could see that. You know, I, I'm going to say they get swept, but I'm not that confident in that prediction. I really think that that they they have a chance to get that Sunday game. Well you know depending why
2: depending on who the pitcher is. The only reason well <laughs> just listen to these two notes. So, Auburn is eighty eight and ninety and one all time against Ole Miss. Auburn has been swept in Oxford three straight series dating back
1: to twenty ten. And that just has to do with that program. That program has been built up, especially under so take Mike with that Bianco, will, so. so
2: but like you mentioned, too, also there's softball on the Plains this weekend, although baseball will not be here. They're welcoming in Florida State, another top 25 team. Auburn gets embarrassed at home by Alabama last weekend, and they're going to welcome
1: in another quality opponent and try and correct their course. Yeah, and it's hard to – I think embarrassed is a little too harsh. They didn't the – interesting, you give up four runs on Saturday and Sunday. Friday wasn't good. Pitching-wise, Matty Pinto, that was her first – it was a true freshman – First time going against going up against a lineup like that. I think the biggest issue on Friday was the fact you load the bases and load the bases twice. twice and don't score a run. Yep. And then Saturday, Sunday, Saturday, you're not hitting off Montana fouls. She did her thing. That one run Auburn scored was because of errors and a great bunt. Yeah. I, I'm not looking too far into the Alabama series because man, they were so close. They were leading on Sunday and then gave up a few runs in the later innings. So. This is a huge week because you were supposed to play Charlotte and Kennesaw State, but Charlotte had to cancel. I'm not sure. It might have been COVID-related. But you're bringing in number 13, Florida State, and this is a team that put you out of the tournament a few years ago. Get get one of those wins. Yeah. Get one of them because that's really going to jumpstart your season, especially when you're going to Missouri, who isn't that good of a softball program. Go there, get a sweep, come back, and you can really get the ball rolling against Arkansas. Yeah. I mean, this is definitely a weekend to
2: get your get your things back straight. I mean, like you mentioned, last weekend, obviously the problem was not pushing the runs across the plate, and that's the most frustrating thing, whether it's softball or baseball, leaving runners on because that's missed opportunities of scoring. So um, this weekend will definitely be a true test, true um, measuring stick, I guess you could say, yeah. from where they have been from last weekend. I like that. Because um, last weekend, like you mentioned, against Bama, Although Bama's, like I think the number two team in the nation now, mm-hmm. that's still I mean, it's still kind of kind of bad.
1: <laughs> and quickly to end it off, Auburn Pro Day. Some notables, as you would expect, Anthony Schwartz, flash, four point two six unofficial forty yard dash, and I don't imagine that unofficial time is too far off the official. He 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 probably ran a four three, and maybe even lower. And you know I don't think this is anything unexpected I don't think this is going to shoot up his draft stock he's going to get drafted where he was going to get drafted for today today just confirmed what we knew right I mean
2: I think the not to discredit Anthony because I mean Anthony's a SEC wide receiver but really kind of the only thing he has going for him is the speed but in the NFL that's really sometimes all you need I say like,
1: he's he said he's been studying Tyreek Hill and another quick receiver Stephon Diggs yes Stephon Diggs those are I think that's a good I think yeah. those are good guys for him to study. Now, there
2: are other guys, though, three in particular in this draft that a lot of people are paying attention to from Auburn. One of them being downhill K.J. Britt. K.J. had 24 reps on bench press today, which is 225. He ran a 475 40s for a 6-foot and almost 1, yeah. 235 linebacker. That's... That'll do it for you. So, I mean, that, that's how he really generates that momentum and not I mean, running backs three yards back. I think K.J. was going to go in the first three rounds regardless, but I think that just kind of solidifies
1: it. True. Um, if well, not, helps him. Well, because think about it. I mean, Six foot and a half, it's kind of short for a linebacker. But if you're quick enough... Yeah. Yeah. And Even I think for a middle linebacker. The lateral is what matters as well yeah. for a linebacker. Other guys, like we mentioned, that
2: do definitely have a high draft stock, or we do expect to go high in the draft. Jamie and Sherwood, safety... <laughs> Almost 6'2", 216. Didn't run the fastest 40-yard dash. Only well, ran a 4.75. Well, he's big. But he's huge. And there's also comparisons to him to Cam Chancellor, like we were talking about. And also, we've been hearing how NFL GMs and coaches have talked about him rolling down and playing an outside linebacker role, which that might suit him even better than playing safety. And you and mentioned,
1: me, mentioned this to me before the show. I didn't realize that his arms... Or as long as they were 34-inch arms, the longest recorded by a defensive back prospect in 15 years. Yeah, I believe that was PFF football yeah. that came out with that. Yeah, because Justin Ferguson quoted it. So uh, Yeah, a lot of the beat writers didn't like. Which is, that's kind of nuts. I remember yeah. having freaking math with him my first semester here. Here's the thing. I, I I love talking about him compared to Chancellor and Jamal Adams. Because, like we said, he's not that quick, but he's also not over 220 pounds. Right. He's gonna be that hybrid kind of you know how Auburn used to run the four two five with Ellis Johnson, the star player. He is a perfect fit for that kind of scheme, and he can stop the run. And yeah, his, his 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 past events can improve a little bit, but it's there. He can do that. Seems like yesterday we were sitting. I literally was like
2: for no reason we were just sitting next to each other in Like I never talked to him, but like we were just always right there. So that that makes me sad. It's like these guys that we graduated high school with that are starting to move out. I was gonna say it's crazy. Like, like when I think of next, who like, Sean Shivers. Yeah, and that's kinda it unless well Nick Brahms even came here the year before us. So yeah. anyways, last guy on the draft board that was also the same year that we graduated high school, Seth Williams. Yeah. Six three two eleven. Only bench twelve, but his forty yard dash was a four
1: five, which isn't crazy bad, but isn't crazy good for him. See, I thought he was a four four guy. Not like four four oh, but like four four five. I thought that's what he would run.
2: My comparison for him is gonna be a Devontae Adams, and we talked about this in the break, because Seth isn't the fastest guy in the world, but he will beat you off the line, and his hands are great, like Devontae. Yep. He has long arms, he's athletic, he's quick off the line. Um, I think whoever gets him gets a steal in the draft. He, he'll he be one of those guys that bounces around between a starting position and a bench position True. his whole career.
1: And he showed off his – he was a long jumper in high school. Yes. Ten feet, four inches on the broad jump, 37-inch vertical jump. The star of the vertical jump was Jordan Peters with 39-and-a-half inches. So – Definitely showing off his
2: athleticism. And like we said, he's going to... He'll he'll probably be the most long-standing guy out of this
1: draft class in the NFL. Yeah. KJ. I think so, for sure. I, I think we talked about it earlier in the season. Hey, first-round potential. I think he's dropped out of that second round. Well, I doubt he drops out of the second round. Well,
2: when you saw what he said today about how difficult of a decision it was to even leave, Like he was like, well, I mean, I was considering
1: coming back. Well, because think about it. You get another year with Bo, and change up the offense a little bit. I don't think that that offensive change could hurt him too much because I don't think his statistics are what matters. The biggest thing about it, it's not like he was statistically insane at Auburn anyway. So I don't think he would have done anything but done better. And obviously the big thing is the injury risk. I think that's what you really have to think about. Like he's a second round pick, get out of here. Yeah, There's no reason to risk an injury when you're like, oh, maybe I can rise to team picks. Not worth it. Go, yeah. Go get paid. The only reason I would see in that instance
2: would be if he saw a legitimate chance of Auburn winning the SEC. Good point, and like we had a
1: bullet in a cough winner.
2: Yeah, and I mean that's what we've seen, especially from Bama. We've seen guys come back like you know what, like we're if I come back, we'll be really good next year. Devonte Smith, yep. Najee Harris. I mean, we saw what happened with that team. They're one yep. of the best teams ever, right? So I don't know, but that is what happened at Auburn's pro day, and we'll see how they pan out in the NFL. I'm just glad it's
1: March. I'm just glad Enjoy we have a good run of it. It is madness. Enjoy the march. Last folks. update from Texas Southern Mount St Mary's. I believe they're at halftime. I can't see the score here, but on ESPN it shows me they're at halftime with Mount St Mary's leading 30 to 20 on True TV. So, Texas Southern
2: possible comeback? Doesn't really matter. Hey, no, really. that means we're already owned one. <laughs> exactly. Just <laughs> great this start. This march. <laughs> well, Catch the recap of March Madness next week on The Scoreboard with Baymark's Jacob Hillman. Catch the recap and replay of today's show on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you find your podcasts. It'll be up shortly here soon. And enjoy this week of March Madness, and we'll catch you on the other side. Maybe we'll be a little crazed, too. This is The Scoreboard. 91.1 91.1 FM.
0: This has been the scoreboard on 91.1 FM WEGL with Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. Join us every Thursday at 4 as Jacob and Betty cover all the happenings in sports. You can keep up with all the great shows on Weagle by streaming us on our website at weglfm.com and following us on Twitter and Instagram at wegl underscore au.